You might have detected a theme in our gathering this morning, a theme of love, God's love for, for us poured out in uh, Jesus Christ who came and lived and died for us that we might have life. Also the theme of our love for one another, and we'll be looking at that uh, more specifically in a few moments during the sermon time. We're going to sing the old song, They'll Know We Are Christians By Our Love, number 284. Would you stand as we sing this? 1074. <laughs> no, no, really, it's from 1 John chapters 3 and 4, and the easiest way to find that is to go all the way to the back of the Bible and uh, leaf forward through the maps, the concordance, any other end material that may be there to the book of Revelation, and then you'll come to Jude, just one page or so, and then 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John, and we're in 1 John 3 and 4 this morning. I'm going to read selections from this chapter, not the whole chapter, so uh, listen carefully and I think you'll be able to follow along as I give you uh, the verse number. First at verse 1 of chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And then in chapter 4, at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And at verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. May God bless this his word to us. Let us pray that we might understand it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't doubt that if we were to take a poll this morning, every single one of us would say that this new church that is coming into being ought to be a loving church. You'd all say that, wouldn't you? If it were on a survey that asked you to circle yes or no, everyone would circle yes. Nova Community Church will be a loving church. It'd be unanimous. Yes, of course. Let's move on to the next attribute of this uh, church called Nova. But not so fast. We want to camp here for a while to make sure we know what it means to be a loving church and to call all of us once again to make it so. Love can mean so many things. Some children were asked to define love. Here's what they said. Bobby, age seven, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you would just stop opening the presents and listen. Rebecca, age eight, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when he's got arthritis. That's love. Cindy, another eight-year-old, said, during my piano recital, I was on the stage and I was scared. And I looked at all those people looking at me and I saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that and I wasn't scared anymore. That's what love means. Nick, a six-year-old, said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone you hate. I thought that was pretty good. Some of you are shocked at Nika, the philosopher. <laughs> and six-year-old Thomas said, love is like a little old man and a little old woman who are still friends even after they've known each other all those years. <laughs> What's interesting about those definitions of love is that none of those kids waxed philosophical. Maybe Nika did a little bit. Uh, the one who said, start with someone you hate. But notice they didn't define love in the abstract, in abstractions. They all defined love as action, something that you do. Love means stop ripping open those presents and listen for a while. Love means waving and smiling at a scared kid. Love means still being friends after knowing each other all those years. Uh, love means even painting toenails. That's not a bad place to start for defining love that's going to characterize Nova. It's love that acts, love in action. 
In days ahead, we're going to talk a lot about love. We're going to sing about it as we have this morning. We're going to think about it. We're going to pray about it. We'll probably have classes about it. We're going to read in the Bible about it. But mostly, we're going to do it. Real love takes doing. I've been the impressive clergyman at a lot of weddings, uh, even some that had unusual elements and unexpected surprises. But none of those weddings can match a wedding I read about recently. It took place in Australia in November of 2010. None of the weddings I've ever done has had this kind of excitement. It was the height of summer on the ocean just outside of Adelaide. And the wedding party was posing for photos. You had the bride and groom, the best man, the bridesmaid, the, the groomsmen. The families all dressed up and smiling at a scenic place at the beach. And while they were posing for the photographer, a woman who just happened to be at the beach that day, not connected in any way with the wedding, fell off a pier into the water and started to drown. And without a moment's hesitation, the best man, still in his tuxedo, jumped in and brought the woman to shallow water. And then the bride, who just happened to be a nurse, began to administer CPR, wading out into the water to begin that saving of a life. And by the time the lifeguards arrived, the woman had regained consciousness and the best man and the bride were credited with saving her life. Now when I hear a story like that, I always have uh, questions to ask. Where was the groom when all this was going on? Uh, why the best man? Maybe the best man, I, I, I have it figured out, maybe the best man had rented his tux and the groom owned his, so the groom said to the best man, you're renting, you go for her. I have questions. Did the, the bride's dress have a long train? Uh, did the bride hand her bouquet to the maid of honor before jumping into the water? Did the rescuers change their clothes before going on to the wedding reception? Did the rescue put a damper on the festivities? It's quite a picture, isn't it? A celebration interrupted in order to save a life. And more than one preacher has seen in that story of the heroic rescue an image of what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. Dressed up for a party, but always ready to dive in in the service of others. Celebrating the love of God in worship as we have this morning, but always being prepared to extend that love in serving people. You see, the two go hand in hand. Worship and mission, celebrating God's goodness and serving people in his name, loving God and loving others. We are going to be a loving church. What does a loving church do? Well, first and foremost, it imitates God. That's worth writing down. It imitates God. When a church loves, it's just imitating God. John wrote, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God isn't stingy with his love. 
He doesn't parcel it out in little doses to the truly worthy, but he lavishes it upon us. The word lavish means generous or abundant or luxuriant or even overdone and over the top, lavish. And that's the nature of God's love for us. He lavishes it upon us. If it will help you, substitute the word slather for lavish. Here's a way to help you remember what I mean. God is to love as D is to peanut butter on toast. When I make myself a piece of toast and peanut butter, I use just a knife bowl. And I spread a kind of thin, just enough so that every bite has a bit of peanut butter. But when Dee, whose love for me is the next best thing to God's love for me, when Dee fixes me a piece of toast, she slathers that peanut butter. We have a big trowel in the cupboard. She just <laughs> slathers that peanut butter on the toast and she piles it up and she spreads it around. She's lavish with that peanut butter and not just over the top, sometimes dripping down the sides. Now that's love. <laughs> Our love for each other has its source in God who lavishes love upon us. Love comes from God, the lavisher, the slatherer. God is love. We love because he first loved us. You want to know what real loving is? Look at God. Over and over again, John, the writer of the gospel and the writer of these letters, summarizes the love of God in this one act. He gave Jesus for us. God coming to live among us as one of us, to die for us and to live again that, that we might have life. That's love. John 3.16. You'd know it if you watched more football. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And 1 John 3.16. Interesting coincidence, isn't it? Both 3.16. Here is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you want to see love, look at what God did. And note that he did something. The essence of love is action. Notice as well the characteristic of self-giving in God's love. He gave himself. It was sacrifice. In that Ephesians passage, most often read at weddings, Paul wrote, Christ loved the, loved the church and gave himself up for her. To love as God did and to love as he intends us to love always involves a measure of sacrifice. It's not love if you don't give anything up. It's not love if it's not sacrifice. The writer and speaker Brennan Manning 
tells how he got the name Brennan. While he was growing up, his best friend was a boy named Ray. The two of them did everything together. They even bought a car together as teenagers. They double dated together, they went to school together. The day came when they enlisted in the army together and they went off to boot camp together and served together on the front lines. And one night while they were sitting in a foxhole on the front line, Brennan was reminiscing about the good old days back in Brooklyn while Ray listened and ate a chocolate bar. And suddenly a live grenade was thrown into the, the foxhole. And Ray looked at Brennan and smiled and dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself on that life, live grenade. And it exploded, killing Ray. But Brennan's life was spared. And years later, when Brennan became a priest, he was told that he had to take the name of a saint. And he thought of his friend, Ray Brennan. And so he took the name Brennan. Years later, he went to visit Brennan's mother in Brooklyn. And they sat up late one night talking, and in the course of the conversation, Brennan asked Ray's mother, do you think Ray loved me? And Brennan's mother, Mrs. Brennan, or Ray's mother, Mrs. Brennan, got up off the couch and she shook her finger in front of Brennan's face and she shouted, what more could he have done for you? And Brennan said that in that moment he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus wondering, does God really love me? And hearing these words, what more could he have done for you? Real love entails sacrifice. Not often the sacrifice of life as in the case of Ray Brennan, but always the giving up of something, your attention, your solitude, your time, your money, your possessions, your know-how, your, your listening ear, your helping hand, your caring heart, your right to privacy, your steadying influence, your encouraging presence in a hundred and one different ways, laying down one's life for another. That's what love is. This letter of John was written to people who were threatened by false teachers, who were presenting another gospel to them, people who claimed to be Christ followers but were not. They had a question for John. It was how can we tell the phony from the real? How can we tell the false from the true? And the answer John gives is you can tell by whether they love others. You see, John saw things in black and white. It was either true or false, light or darkness, life or death, love or hatred. The litmus test was this. It's verse 14 of chapter 3. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Love is the mark of the transformed life. Love is the sign that you have passed out of death into life. 
Jesus said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Only the loved are lovers. Only if you are convinced to the core of your being that God loves you. Only if you are not just touched by, but completely surrounded by and immersed in the love of God from day to day, will you be freed to love others as God loves. With that self-giving, laying down one's life kind of love. We love because he first loved us. Since love is from God, those who are God's people cannot help but love. We imitate God as a matter of course. We can't help ourselves. We are God's children. F.F. Bruce, a great Bible scholar of a generation ago, said in this regard, love is an indispensable feature in the lives of God's children. An indispensable feature in the lives of God's children. The family likeness is bound to appear. The love of the father will be reproduced in his children. So, what's Nova? Nova will be a loving church. If we are God's children, we won't be able to not love others. But of course, there are some things that might keep us from loving as we ought. And they are the usual suspects. Selfishness is one. We can be so self-centered, seeing only ourselves and our needs and, and our wants with our eyes blind and our ears deaf to others around us. Selfishness. Another thing that might keep us from loving as we ought is overvaluing comfort and convenience. We all like to be comfortable, don't we? That's why some of you have chosen the seats you have even this morning. We like to be comfortable. We like things to be convenient. But loving in the style of Jesus Christ moves us out of our comfort zones and makes us go out of our ways in order to love and serve others. Another thing that might keep us from loving as we ought as this new church is the consumer mentality. Pastor Dean said last week that when we gather, we are to move beyond being consumers to being contributors. I like the way he put it. To move beyond consumerism to contributorship. To say it another way, all of us are here not only to be loved, but here to love. Every time we gather, every single one of us is not just a guest, but every single one of us is a host. Consumerism is a scourge on the contemporary Christian church. Let me announce clearly that we are not building a church for consumers here. Well, we all start out there. But we intend to move quickly, to move us all quickly on from consumers to cooperators of this mission and ministry for Christ in the South Bay. Could I get your applause on that? See how easy it was to get you to applaud? 
We uh, want your applause. A little bit. Now and then is fine. It's nice. We like it, don't we? But we really don't want your applause. We want your action, your action, your activity as lovers of one another and lovers of all those people out there in the world that God so loves. When a church loves, God is glorified. That is, he is acknowledged not just in our gatherings, but in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, that he is the truly important one. In fact, he is the only ultimately significant one. This isn't about us, it's about him, it's about God. God is glorified. When a church loves, the world notices. There are a lot of haters out there in the world. Have you noticed that? A lot of haters. But the bride of Christ, the church, is supposed to be lovers. And if we love, we will stick out like a bride in a mud puddle out there. When a church loves, the world notices. And when a church loves, the church itself finds itself as children and imitators of God, discovers its true identity as people made in God's image and acting out that image in what they do from day to day. And when a church loves, people are served with all the good things of God and they are saved from death and destruction and hell. When a church loves, God is glorified. Am I repeating myself? Am I repeating myself? I mean to. I mean to. When a church loves, God's glory is manifest among the nations. But some of you say, I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like doing the loving thing. You don't know how difficult it is to love the people I'm stuck with. They're mean, or ugly, or stupid, or lazy, or difficult, or weird, or crazy, mixed up. Yep, that's what we are. And God loves us. Don't wait for the feeling. Just be a child of God and you'll love as he does. In an interview posted by Christianity Today, Brennan Manning said, to me it's more important to be loved than to love. When I have not had the experience of being loved by God just as I am and not as I should be, then loving others becomes a duty, a responsibility, a chore. But if I let myself be loved as I am, with the love of God poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit, then I can reach out to others in a more effortless way. Now, if I were to end the sermon in a conventional way, as we've come to expect sermons to end, 
I would tell you, go love somebody. Do the loving thing. And I'd probably give you some suggestions on how to do that and you'd write them down and you'd talk about them maybe in your small group this week and maybe even get around to doing some of them. I might say make a list of people you find it hard to love. You know, those ugly, crazy people that we all have to deal with. And then I'd ask you to resolve to, to love those people in some concrete way this week. That would be a conventional end to a sermon like this. Go love somebody. But that's not what I want you to do. Oh, it's okay if you do. But don't start there. Instead, I encourage you to go get loved by God. Go get loved by God. Let God renovate you. Nova, get renovated by God, renewed by God in the confidence of God's love for you. Take some time in the next few days and sit and reflect. Be still. Reflect on God's love for you. Let yourself feel loved. Read those verses, John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Look at Romans 5.8 sometime. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Luxuriate in the lavish love of God for you. Just be at rest in his tremendous love. Feel it. Celebrate it. Sing about it. Thank God for it. And if you do that, you will begin to do the actions of love as God's love overflows from your life into the lives of others. And Nova will be that loving church. Amen.